This is the word of the Lord. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brother, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been yet it, yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I'm fairly certain that I've used this as an illustration before, but we tend, it's, it's very apropos this morning, we tend to have a tenuous relationship with law, don't we? We love laws that help us out, and we hate those laws that... Restrain us from doing the things that we like to do. I, you like to speed. You don't like the laws that say, hey, go this fast. I don't necessarily like the laws that say, hey, we get half of your, well, not half, but we get a portion of your money every paycheck. Taxes, right? We don't like the laws that say, hey, you own your house, but you have to pay us first before you can pay to work on your house. We don't like those laws necessarily. We have this tenuous relationship. They're all well and good when it says, hey, someone else can't take my property from me when they protect me or the ones I love. But at other times, we don't like the law. This is true of us at all ages. Uh, Kids don't like law, right? Law being rules. It's the same thing. Hey, don't do this. Do that. As kids, we don't even like the law. We grow into young adults, to students. We don't like, hey, you have to do this paper, and if you don't do this paper, you're going to get a bad grade. We don't like the law. Paul, throughout Romans, has been talking about, uh, at least for the last several chapters, our relationship to the law. And in our passage today, he's continuing to do this. And it's just reading it on the surface level, it can be somewhat confusing. What is Paul talking about I died to the law, law, I was alive apart from the law, 
but that doesn't make sense. How was I alive? And then I died when the law came. There's a lot going on here that can be confusing for us. But Paul is trying to make this point. You have been freed from the law. You have a new relationship to it. You have been freed from it. Through death, your bondage to the law has been done away with. And through life, or through that death, you have a new relationship that has been established. So as we come to our text this morning, let's consider these three things. Death and the law. Second, sin and the law. And third and finally, holiness and the law. Death and the law, sin and the law, and holiness and the law. Paul begins by asking this question, are you not ignorant? Or what shall we say then? He's basically saying, do you not already know these things? He's uh, implying to his audience and to us as well, hey, we've already talked about this somewhat. You already know what this topic is about. You're familiar with it. We've been discussing it already. He's saying, look, you, you know that you're not under the law. And interestingly, he, here he says, uh, he speaks to those who are brothers. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers. And that can be somewhat confusing too, because we know that Paul's talking to uh, Romans, particularly Roman Christians. Uh, these are not necessarily Jews. How would they have known the law? Uh, but Paul is talking to people who were God-fearers. And even uh, synagogues were in Rome before the time of Christ. So they would have been at least familiar with the Old Testament law. And he says, look, brothers, you who have had some sort of relationship with the law are now dead to that law. And to show this, he uses the example of marriage. He says, when you're married, you bind yourself to one another. A man binds himself to a woman. A woman binds herself to a man. To do anything against that marriage is a sin. It's considered adultery, he says here. What keeps someone from sinning, what releases them from the bonds is if one of, the, this, one of the other spouse were to die. If the man were to die or the woman were to die, it frees them from the uh, binding uh, that they had together. They're free to remarry. There is no sin because they have been freed from it through death. Paul uses the word here that they've been joined together. When you're married, you've been bound by the law to one another. You've been joined together. And this is the same relationship that the Christian has to Christ. We too, just like the a man or woman who is free to remarry, are now free. You have died to the law through the body of Christ. Paul here says you have died to the law through Christ. But what does this mean? What does it mean to say we've died to the law? It's a hard concept. Uh, Calvin distinguishes the law. He says the law in a sense has this office, the first part of it, that is particular to the time of Moses, the demands of the law for perfect obedience. 
There's condemnation for all who fail to meet its standards. But the, the fact that we have died to the law doesn't mean that the law goes away. But we still have an authority. The problem is this. Did the law deal with sin? No. The law does not deal with the problem of sin. In fact, the law has made the sin greater. It's exposed it and revealed it in a greater way. And so each of us, Paul says, has a problem. That problem is sin. And we must die to sin so that we can live to God. So we have to put the law which exposes sin to death so that we can be joined to Christ. Again, this is a, a kind of a weird concept in a way, but Paul is not saying that the law does not continue to teach us. We learn about God's character through the law. We learn about holiness through the law. We learn what God expects of us, expects of us when we look at the law. But the law does not save us. The law does not redeem us. The law exposes us. It exposes our sin. It condemned all those in Rome and it condemns us today. But now... Paul tells us we have a righteousness that is revealed apart from the law. So if this is the case, how do we put to death the law? How do we put to death the law? And Paul tells us, my brothers, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. We have been separated through Christ's death from the law in order that we may be joined to him. Last week, we we talked about masters, right? And this is Paul basically saying the same thing in a different way. You have been taken away from the master of sin. You have been freed from the master of sin. And God, Christ, has become your new master. It's a new relationship that we have. And so we're no longer under sin and the law. We're under Christ. And this means a new relationship. It means that we have a changed being. Our actions are different. Those outside of the Christ remain in the flesh. They remain in sin. They remain in the the world with its values dominated by sin, the law, and death. Sinful passions that through the exposing of the law worked in them only death. This is the world. The desire to disobey God and his laws. Passions aroused by the law that are continually at work. Continually at work, excuse me but we're released from it. We're released from it. Paul says we serve not under the old written code, 
but in the new life of the Spirit. We serve in the new life of the Spirit. He has brought life to us so that we can produce things that are pleasing to God, fruit that is pleasing to God. Okay, so now we've just laid this out uh, in a complex way that Paul does here. Okay, there's the law, the law. We are alive apart from the law, but the law brought death. And now we're dead to that law and we're to live in Christ. Okay, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? Because in, in a way it's complicated and it's hard, but it's also so beautiful. Because it's not saying, hey, now you can live to rulelessness and do whatever you want to do. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you've died to the law so that you might live to Christ. You must live in a way that is seeking after him. We're in the season of Easter, right? I think in in an odd sort of way, this text is so appropriate to the season that we're in. Because what is it talking about? What is Paul saying our faith uh, our, our freedom from sin rests upon, it rests upon a death. Jesus' death. We remember the death that, rem- that has secured our status before him. His death and his resurrection that has brought to us his grace. The Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, it showed our need of him. And now we are to rest in his grace. Are you resting in God's grace? Or are you seeking to fulfill the law? This is what Paul's talking about here. What are you resting in? Are you resting in God's grace or are you still seeking to fulfill the law, to fulfill all its demands? Do you have your checklist out before you? I've done this and I've done this. Are you like that rich young ruler that comes to Jesus saying, I've kept all the commandments since my childhood. Arrogance, right? Do we come to him like that? Are you beating yourself up with works righteousness? You have to remember in all of this, Paul is giving us a freeing thing. You are free from the the law and its demands. Not that you don't seek to obey, but you, the law is no longer the thing that saves us, is it? That was the thing in the Old Testament. When they were given the law, the law was this. This is your standard. You want eternal life? Live perfectly according to my law. Who's done that today? Anybody? Have you lived perfectly according to the law today even? No, we haven't. We can't. We cannot satisfy the demands of the law. And so we have to die to the law. And be in Christ, the one who satisfies the law for us. But this brings up a natural question. If we have to die to the law, does that make the law evil? This is what Paul asks, right? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? 
Is the law sin so that we have, because we have to die to it? And Paul in his great Pauline way says, by no means may it never be. The law is never sin. It is not sinful. And this is what the Jews would have accused him of. You're saying that the law is sin. But the law and sin have become allied in a way. It brings knowledge of sin. Through the law, Paul says, I understood more of my own sin. He says, when it says, you shall not covet, I understood the things that I was already doing was coveting. But sin put flesh on it. I think it's interesting here that Paul uses covet. Why do you think Paul uses covet here? Which commandment is thou shalt not covet? It's 10, right? It's the last one. I think there is a, a way in which Paul is saying here the whole of the commandments, right? The completion, the whole of them, all of them. He breaks them. It exposed his sin. It worked in him sinful desires. There's a sense in which the law brings sin to life. And as the sin comes alive, it brings us to death. But the law is not sin. It is not the originator of sin. But sin uses the law for its own purpose. We know this, right? The law forbids many things. And no sooner did Israel hear, thou shalt not have any idols. What did they do? Hey, let's make a golden calf. That's a good idea. And we're the same way, right? We talked about, I think I told this story either last week or the week before last. As soon as you tell us we can't do something, what do we do? We do it. Because sin exposes us. And throughout Israel's history, what do they do over and over and over again? My wife has been reading through the Bible and she's in Judges. And Judges has this great re, uh, rehashed phrase. They did what was right in their own eyes. Over and over again, God would send a judge. He'd get him back, Israel back on track. And then what would they do? They did what was right in their own eyes. Over and over again, they sought what was right in themselves. The law brought death. It was supposed to bring life. It was supposed to show them right living, and yet it only produced death. It didn't restrain sin. It brought sin to life. The law had to be perfectly obeyed. Sin used the law to deceive and kill. No attempt to find life through the law will succeed. Not because obeying the law is sinful. It's not. But because the law cannot be fulfilled perfectly. Yes, it has positive intentions. Its intention was to bring life. But it doesn't. The law forces us to look somewhere else doesn't it? That was true in the Old Testament as well. As Israel had the law and they continued to sin, what did they have to look forward? 
They had to look toward the temple, didn't they? They had to look towards the sacrifices over and over and over again. The temple was not a clean place. It was a butchery. It was a slaughterhouse. Think about it. Think about if this room we had up here and we were still doing what we had to do. And every time you sin, we had to come in and we were slaughtering something else. What aromas would fill this room? It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. But it does the same thing for us, doesn't it? Hey, you cannot fulfill the law. You need something else. And it points us to someone else, doesn't it? It points us to a sacrifice that had to be made. It points us to look for the promised Messiah and in him to find life and salvation. Today's Palm Sunday, right? We've tried to do some good Palm Sunday songs. We've read the Palm Sunday story. And we all know the story of Palm Sunday as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end, as it were, right? He's coming back to Jerusalem, the place where they seek, are seeking to destroy him. And he comes into the city as conquering king. And he comes into that city as king. He is the one who establishes the law of God. He is the one who has perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And he comes into that city presenting himself as the perfect sacrifice for those who have transgressed the law. We cannot rely on our works. Our works do not save us. They are empty and will ultimately only bring death. We have to turn to Christ and to his Sacrifice. It is the only hope that any of us have. Paul here, as he comes to a conclusion, in verse 12 says this. So the law is holy. And the commandment is holy. And righteous. And good. After all this, after all we've talked about, how can Paul say this about the law? How can he say the law is holy and the commandments are good? It's because this. The one who gives those laws, he is just and he is good. He is by his nature holy. And if he gave them, then they cannot be unholy. The the law cannot be charged with wrongdoing. The law is holy and the law is good. It is the word that was given to the people. Augustine says it this way, God commands what we cannot do that we may know what we ought to seek from him. We are exposed by the law But as we rest in Jesus, as we are secure in him, then we look at the law and the law shows us what we need from Jesus. Calvin likewise says it differently. In the precepts of the law, God is but the rewarder of perfect righteousness, which all of us lack. 
and conversely the severe judge of evil deeds. But in Christ his face shines, full of grace and gentleness, even upon us poor and unworthy sinners. We are indeed those poor and unworthy sinners who have not fulfilled even one bit of the law. And it is tempting for us, I think, to vilify the law from what Paul has said here. The law which reveals sin, therefore it must be bad. But the law is not bad. The law is indeed holy and just. It's not the keeping of the law that is bad. It's understanding that the law is the standard. It is the standard that we cannot live up to. So what are we to do? What are we to do if we cannot live up to the standard of the law? We are to look to our king. Jesus, the one who came, we are to look to our king. Jesus, who like the law is good and gracious and holy. Jesus, the one who has kept the law for us. Jesus, in who we find the righteousness that leads to life. It is somewhat counterintuitive to say that through death we have life. But that is exactly what Paul is arguing here. Through death you are free to remarry. Through death you are free to live. That's his argument. That's the the most simplistic summarization of his argument I can give you. Through death you have life. Paul is pointing us to the cross. The cross wherein we see the death of Jesus, the death of our king, the death of the only perfect man who ever lived. Who received the wrath Every time we have broken the law, every time we break the law today, every time we continue to break the law as we go from this place, every last bit of it is deserving of the wrath of God. But thanks be to God that he did not leave us in that estate. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, who who God poured the wrath upon him. Every time we transgress the law, every time we have sinned. The Bible says Jesus drank the wrath of God to the dregs. Every last single bit. So you now are dead to the law. If you are in Christ, you are dead to the law. You are dead to sin that the law brings and you are free to Christ and you are to live to him. You are seek to seeking to, you should be seeking to obey him. That is what's true for the Christian. That is what's true for those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. But there's another side of this here, isn't there? Do you know Jesus? 
Are you his? Because if you are not, then you are like that man or woman who has cheated on his spouse while they yet remain alive. You are an adulterer. You are guilty of every last bit of the law. And because you are guilty, there is wrath and judgment coming for you. You are dead. You are dead in your sins and your trespasses. There is a plea here, I believe, from Paul. Know Jesus. See him as revealed to you. Know what he has done for you. Come to his cross and find forgiveness. Come before him and know peace. And as you enter into relationship with him, as you are already in relationship, obey him through the law. The law shows us his character. It shows us who he wants us to be. We are to imitate his character. We are to imitate his actions. This is what we come to once again see this morning in this table. Christ's death so that you may have life. Christ's body broken, Christ's blood poured out to satisfy the demands of the law. So as we come to this table this morning, know the hope that is yours in Christ Jesus. Know what he has accomplished for you. Know that you no longer live in slavish to demand of the law that you cannot fulfill. But you are alive in Christ and free to serve him. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for the hope that it brings. Would we understand our position before you? Would we understand that we have been free from the law, that we may serve you? And in serving you, we seek to imitate your holiness, your life. Work in us that which is good and pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.